0: Good morning. How how you like the weather? Yeah, something else, isn't it? I I, I love it. As as Ryan said, I'm uh, John Churchill. I've been the missions pastor here for about three years. Some of you may not know me because my home campus is the Kendall campus. So I'd like to shout out to the Kendall campus. And for all of you who are joining us online at Church Online, man, we are so glad that you're here, and I am so glad to be with you. So we used to live in Guatemala. We lived there two times for a total of six years. I was assigned to the U.S. Embassy there. I was a military diplomat, that's called an army attache, and in that role I traveled all corners of the country. And while traveling, I learned about Mashiman. Now Mashiman is a life-size wooden carving of an old man that the Mayan descendants worship as a deity. They ask him for favors, they take him offerings like cigarettes and clothing and alcohol. And to me, it was really very bizarre because I mean he lives in somebody's house, a special room in someone's house. And the room is decorated on the ceiling. There are there are pl- green plants hanging down from the ceiling. There is a wooden Jesus in a glass case covered by silk flowers. There are colored blinking lights hanging down from the wall. And there are there are lots of candles burning everywhere. And there has to be someone in the room with them at all times. They put him to bed each night, and they even bathe him sometimes. I mean, these people are essentially worshiping a doll made of wood. And in a weird mix of religions, you find him worshiped in some churches. Some of the churches, way out in the countryside, in the back of the church, they're burning incense and burning candles to Mashiman and worshiping there in the church. And so it's just kind of an odd mixture of people worshiping Mashimon and Jesus at the same time. And I use the term weird and strange here on purpose because I think many times a non-Christian, when they look at Christianity, they probably have similar thoughts. You know, like, I mean, I think we all do. We all think sometimes, man, if they only knew my thing, they would see the weirdness in their thing. And yet our religion and our worldview is no less weird than theirs. I mean, think about it for, for you Christ followers out there. How about prayer? Now, for someone who doesn't believe in the metaphysical world, it was, it's probably seemed really weird that we pray. I mean, we would think it's odd if someone said, I prayed to Buddha this morning. I mean, would we? That, that would be odd. In the Christian world, we actually celebrate when someone who knows Christ passes away because we know that that person is with, with God in heaven. But for someone who is outside the faith, let's say that has experienced in their lives the loss of someone close to them through death, I think the celebration might be kind of weird to them that we celebrate people like that. Or how about communion? I mean, we're, we talk about taking in the blood and body of Christ. I mean, if someone out of, outside the faith says, man, that's, that's strange. That's really different. But to me, maybe the strangest thing that people see when they're looking at Christianity is how good we are about adding rules, man-made rules, to how we love our faith. Rules that are not found in the Bible. So, for instance, I went to Miami Coral Park Senior High School. Any any Rams out there? Yeah, there's some. The football team wasn't good when I was there either. So, I, I was involved in Campus Life Youth for Christ and every year, the day after Christmas, a bunch of us would, would get on buses, and we would travel all the way up to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a Campus Life conference and, a, and to have some fun in the snow. Well, my junior year, when we went to Gatlinburg, there was another Christian group there. And the women in that group wore long dresses and no makeup, and the men wore black pants and white shirts. And they confronted people in our group saying, well, you, you can't be a Christian because you wear blue jeans. I mean, think of that. Just think of that. They believe the blue jeans disqualified someone for an eternal relationship with God, and I, I wanted to tell them, "Well, you don't dress like Jesus did, so you can't be Christians either." I mean, it is just weird how we do this. We we want to put rules on that are not written in the Bible uh, on how we live our faith, and I think people in Miami they perceive God as narrow because they see God as demanding everything like following all the rules including the man-made rules and giving nothing they see him as a rules based god you have to prove that you're worthy they don't see a god of grace but they see a bully god who will impose his will on them their focus becomes following the rules in order to be more acceptable to god instead of receiving the grace of god and that mindset has shown them a false god who demands everything before giving anything And if people tell me, John, I couldn't believe in a God like that, I say, I I couldn't either. I don't. My God always begins and always ends in love. So today, we're taking up the question, is Christianity too narrow? How can we claim that there's only one pathway to God when there are so many religions? So the thinking goes like this. If a religion teaches that it has absolute truth, then those who follow that religion are absolutely right and everyone else is wrong, you have God on your side and they don't, and that leads to arrogance and the idea that you have a man, divine mandate for all that you do, maybe it's best to have no religion at all. And that kind of mindset reminds me of the song uh, Imagine by John Lennon of the Beatles fame. It is played every New Year's Eve in Times Square. And one line in that song says this, Imagine there's no religion. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Like, wouldn't the world be a lot better if we didn't have religion? I mean, this was really a harbinger of the postmodernism to come. But is there a way to approach religion so that no one is left out? In Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he gives some unsubstantiated claims that people have that are intended to make religion more inclusive unsubstantiated claim number one. All major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing. I'm, I'm sure you've heard something like that. I mean, it's popular in our culture it, like, to think of it this way. God is at the top of a mountain, and there are many pathways up, to that, up that mountain to God. There's, a, there's an Islam pathway. There's a Hindu pathway. There's a Christianity pathway. There may, I mean, a Judaism pathway, Confucianism. Tribal religions, you get the picture. Each pathway presents an equally legitimate path to the same destination. Nearly half of all Americans believe that it doesn't really matter what you believe, since all religions are basically the same. Every religion claims to possess the truth and of the nature of God and how we're to worship Him. And, and I think it's true. There are a lot of similarities between religions. Live a moral life, don't steal, don't kill, respect others. But on the other hand, there are some truth claims that can't be easily reconciled. For example, Christianity teaches that Jesus is God. Judaism and Islam both teach that Jesus is not God. So if Jesus is God, then the Jews and Muslims fail to worship God as he really is, and that would really be a big deal. Unsubstantiated claim number two, each religion sees part, part of the spiritual truth, but not all of it. It reminds me of the story of the blind men and the elephant. The story goes that six blind men are taken to feel different parts of the elephant. So one person, one blind man feels the tail and says, the elephant is like a rope. Another blind man feels the, the, the leg and says, an elephant is like a tree trunk. And still another one feels the trunk of the elephant and says, an elephant is like a snake, and on and on. And the, the problem with the story is that it's told from the perspective of someone that's not blind. Since all the people are blind, someone has to say, I can see what they don't see. The story actually proves the opposite of what it seems to be saying. It says that someone has a truth about God and has seen God as he really is. Unsubstantiated claim number three. Religion is too cultural and historically conditioned to be true. The thinking goes like this. Whatever culture you grew up in will determine what you what you, how you worship, your religion. But I tell you, there are some pretty impressive examples of Christianity's li- Christianity living in a countercultural environment. For instance, did you know that in 1949, there were about 4 million Christians in China? Today, there's between 100 and 200 million. And you know that that's, not very, that's a society that's not very f- favorable towards Christians. Unsubstantiated claim number four. It's arrogant to insist that your religion is right and try to convert others to it. Unless, of course, you're trying to convert others to that phrase. You see how illogical it is? All truth claims are arrogant except the one I'm making right now. And if you insist that no one can determine what is right and what is wrong, then why should I believe you? We all make truth claims. So why is it okay to use persuasion in a non-religious truth claim But to suggest that your religion is true is considered inappropriate or even bigoted. Society is taught that there are no absolute truths, no right, no wrong. Truth is relative. But I will tell you that without a common agreement on objective truth, the only common virtue left is tolerance. In a relativistic society, tolerance trumps truth. Now, if tolerance is defined as the respect of the dignity of all persons, regardless of their views, I'm in. But if it means that all truth claims are equally valid, then count me out. So today, we're going to look at three fundamental precepts of the Christian faith. Three basic ideas on which our faith is built, <coughs> because these truths help shape our sense of mission and our purpose in life. And not only we're not only going to answer the question, is Christianity too narrow? But we're going to look at, what is the purpose of a Christ follower anyway? So let's look at some truths about Christianity. First of all, the message of Jesus may seem to some to be narrow, but it's not. And I realize that people think that the message of Jesus is exclusive, but it's really not. One of the difficult statements of Jesus that people get stuck on is found in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus is pretty cl- clear here. He's clearly saying that the only way to God, he is the only way to God the Father. He did not say, I am a way and a truth and a life. He's saying that he's all those things. Now, some might say that that's a very narrow message. And I, I can understand that point of view. But in reality, that message is wide enough for the whole world. If the world chooses to accept it, a loving God is providing a way to a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And that's great news. And and did you notice that Jesus started that sentence with a pronoun, I? We're not saved by a principle. We're not saved by a force. We're saved by a person. Jesus did not say, say he knew the way, the truth, and the life, or that he even taught those principles. He declared himself to be the embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't offer a recipe and a bunch of rules and rituals to follow. Instead, he gives us a relationship with himself. His plan is wrapped up in a person. Simply put, Christianity is about trusting and following Jesus, a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And he himself said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, And narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I want to reemphasize right now that the gate may be small and the road may be narrow, but God offers us a way to get to him. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The gate is Jesus. The way is Jesus. So we were on vacation here in Miami many years ago when I was in the army. My youngest brother was getting married in Jacksonville. My wife Susan and I were going to be going in different cars because our car had died and we had bought a new one. I was picking it up that day. And she was going to drive my mom's car and drive my mom to, up to Jacksonville. Now what you need to know is this is before cell phones. This is before GPS. This is before Waze. And that Susan is from California and wasn't really familiar with our state. So she and my mother were leaving a lot earlier than I was. And their plan was to go to the Turnpike Extension, to hit I-75, then go, go hit the Sawgrass Expressway, and then go over to I-95 so they could bypass all of the Fort Lauderdale area. Well, after a while, my wife started noticing signs. Beware of Panthers. <laughs> now, my mom says, you know, I've seen signs like that before, but the only time I've seen it is when we were on an alligator alley going towards Naples through the Everglades. Well, they finally realized that they were on the wrong road. They were going the wrong direction. They had co- taken a completely wrong way to get to Jacksonville, and there was no way to turn around back then. So they had to go all the way to Naples and, and do a U-turn and come back and then go north to Jacksonville. And even though I left many hours earlier than they, uh, later than they did, I actually got to Jacksonville before they did. If you're going the wrong way, you will not get to your destination. The way to God the Father is through Jesus his son. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss the way to God. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know, Jesus was a great moral teacher and certainly a good man, but he was not the son of God? Man, I've heard that. I've heard it from friends and professors and politicians and celebrities and religious leaders. Even the Dalai Lama made a statement to that effect. However, when you read what Jesus said about himself, like the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or the phrase, I am the gate, you quickly discover that there's a major problem with the good moral teacher concept. Jesus made some other really outrageous claims. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be equal to God. He claimed to to have the power to forgive sin. He claimed that he would someday judge the world. He claimed that he had the power over death. So here's the problem. A man who is merely a man and makes these claims about himself cannot be considered a good moral teacher. He's either delusional or he's deceptive. A man who falsely claims to be God is either a liar or a lunatic, but you can't call him a great teacher. The book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity that Bill mentioned a couple weeks ago, it makes the very same argument. Since Jesus claimed to be God, you can't wave him off as a good teacher and nothing else. Lewis said, you can call him a fool, you can call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. Then he goes on to say, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. When a person decides what they will believe about Jesus, they have to choose from one of three possibilities. Either he was a liar, and he intentionally deceived people into following him, Or he was a lunatic, a paranoid schizophrenic with visions of grandeur. Or he was, in fact, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's one of those three. Those are the only options that we have. Now, you know which one I believe. I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of all. The next truth about Christianity. While the message may seem to some to be narrow. The invitation is very broad. The message of Jesus is inclusive. It is for everyone. So in Chicago, D.L. Moody, who was the greatest evangelist of the 19th century, had asked Henry Morehouse to substitute for him for a week while he was out of town. And the story goes that Morehouse preached every week, every night for a full week on one verse. That verse of the Bible was John 3.16. Which says, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Every night people came to Christ. The crowds grew throughout the whole week. I mean, is there any verse in the Bible that is more well-known than this one? It states that eternal life is not earned by begging or praying or crying or working or by joining. Salvation comes as a free gift When we believe what God has said. And for 2,000 years, people have been adding to this gospel. You have to do this. You have to do that to be acceptable to God. Remember the no blue jean guys in Gatlinburg? But it says, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So usually when I'm talking to someone about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I have the people replace the word world As in, God so loved the world with their own name. In my case, I would say, for God so loved John that he gave his one and only son. God loves the whole world. Everyone's name can be put in there. Your name goes in there too. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God so loved you that he gave his one and only son? But not only the names of people, but of countries and cities and religions and groups for God so loved Haiti, Guatemala, Colombia, Cuba, that He gave His one and only Son. God so loved South Africa and Lebanon, that He gave His one and only Son. God so loved Beijing and Paris, that He gave His one and only Son. God so loved Miami, that He gave His one and only Son. Or God so loved Muslims, that He gave His one and only Son. Or God so loved Buddhists, that He gave His one and only Son. Or God so loved Jewish people, that He gave His one and only Son. Or God so loved straight people and gay people that he gave his one and only son. Or God so loved Republicans and Democrats that he gave his one one and only son. Amen. God's love is so immense that everyone is invited into a relationship with him. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world to save the world. He gave his one and only son as a sacrifice to pay our penalty for our sin in our place on the cross. He was buried, and three days later he was raised from the dead, alive, showing that he had defeated sin and death. When we trust him and his atoning sacrifice, we have life with him forever, and that's really good news. The message is inclusive. It's not exclusive. And it seems to me that while the message may seem to some to be narrow, the message, it's a message that we must share. The purpose of Christ's Journey Church is to help people find and follow Christ. We want people everywhere to experience the wide open arms of the love of God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in the great commission, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So the central command in the great commission is make disciples. And that's what we mean when we say help people find and follow Christ. The heart of our mission is the reproduction in others what Jesus produced in us. Things like faith, obedience, growth, authority, compassion, love, and a bold, truthful message as his witnesses. Jesus' disciples were to reproduce other disciples of all nations. And even before the command, make disciples, we're told to go. Go and make disciples. And I think that's more than traveling across a geographical border, although I think that's part of Jesus' meaning. The point is that we believers are to be active, not passive. Go means crossing boundaries to make disciples both locally and globally. For instance, going across the street to your neighbor's house or going to dinner with an unbelieving friend or going into the inner city or going to other groups and uh, people groups and ethnicities that are very different from you. Or going beyond one's comfort zone to make the gospel more accessible to those far from God. Living life is to go with a purpose every day. I mentioned China earlier. Talking about going beyond one's comfort zone. Do you know that Christians in Wuhan province in China, now that's the epicenter of the coronavirus. They, they, they aren't staying in their homes They are out in the streets handing out masks to people. They're also getting protective gear to healthcare professionals who don't have it. They do that through donations from Taiwan, Hong Kong, and North America. They're using social media to help coordinate beds in hospitals for people that are sick. And they're making themselves vulnerable to spread the love of God. The Chinese author of one of the the articles I read says this. Christians in Wuhan are living proof of the best qualities of humanity. They offer us a glimmer of hope in this world full of suffering and paranoia toward the epidemic. Their composure and efficiency as well as their love and strength stem from their faith. They are showing the sacrificial love of God to their suffering community. The message of Jesus may be viewed by some to be narrow, but Christians want people both locally and globally to experience the immense all-inclusive love of God to our world. And to show that love to Miami, what we do here at Christ Journey Church is we go out a couple times a year and do what we call a city serve, where we go and serve our our city. It's an incredible opportunity to go across boundaries, to break barriers down, and show people how much they're loved by God. Locally, we also give food to those who are hungry through Feed Miami. God cares about them, and we so want them to know it. So why do we do all these things? It's to help people find and follow Christ. We want everyone to experience the full breadth of the love of Jesus. Our God is not narrow. On the contrary, our God is a God with wide open arms, ready to accept anyone who would come to Him. So we not only go locally, but we also go to many nations around the globe to help people find and follow Christ. So here's a map of where we have our ministry partners throughout the, throughout the world and also where we have sent teams. Uh, what we do is we go to help our partners who are in country, helping people realize that God's love is not narrow, but it's wide open for everyone. And we also then show God's love to the world by sending short-term mission teams around the globe to support our partners because we want Christ journeyers to experience the joy of sharing the great love of God to the world. So last year, we sent a group of our students to Colombia, And part of what they did is serve in a public school, teaching English and playing sports and other things. So one young man, one Colombian young man, who, who said his life had been on the wrong path, came to know Christ because of this group's witness. A few months later, we received word back from Colombia that his life was changed, that he was growing in his faith. The school administration was so appreciative that we had come to share God's love with them. It made a great difference in that young man's life, in the school, and in the community. This month, our students will be deploying to the Bahamas, the Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, and Colombia over spring break. I encourage you to pray for them. Throughout the rest of the year, we have teams going to Ecuador and Brazil, we have medical and dental trips going to Dominican Republic and Guatemala. I want you to notice the picture on the, on the left of the, of the baby, the mom with the baby. Our healthcare professionals that go on these trips make such a major impact in the lives of people. This baby came to our clinic. The mom had walked an hour and a half over muddy mountainous roads to get to the clinic because the baby was really struggling to breathe. Severe respiratory problems. Well, the quick action of the team probably saved that baby's life. That's God's love in action. Our physicians, they go on these trips, they pray for each patient that they see. And one of those physicians sent one of the patients to me after he had seen him. And he said that this young man wanted to know more about a relationship with God. So I shared the good news about Jesus with him. That they were all sinners and separated from a holy God. But God so loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to pay those wages. And Jesus paid them for us. And if you receive that, you can come to know Christ. And that's what he did. The teams we sent out make such an incredible impact on the communities around the world as we share the love of God with people in tangible ways. Oh, and can I just brag for a minute? The leaders of our trips are my heroes. I mean, we are so blessed to have so many talented people that are willing to lead. And these are not, these are not staff people. These, these are, are, common, are just like you. They're, they're, they're working in a job throughout the year, and then they go to serve by leading a team. And through their hard work, they equip the team to go and make disciples of all nations at the same time making disciples of the team. There are many opportunities to be an expression of the abundant love of God. If you want to learn more about what we do to spread the the love of God, you can go to the missions page on the Christ Journey website, or you can talk to your campus pastor, or you can talk to me. The love of God is not narrow. It's to all peoples. Our purpose is to help people connect with God and fulfill His purpose for them. Is the message of Christianity narrow? Well, maybe, because there's only one way for us to be saved. We can't save ourselves—not through knowledge or effort or politics or prosperity. We could only be saved by one who could bridge the gap between a holy God and, and our sinful selves, and that's what Jesus Christ came to do when He died on the cross. Is Christianity too narrow, in the sense that it's all about Jesus and only about Jesus? Yes, it is. But the but the invitation our faith extends to the world is all inclusive. It's for everyone. Is it too narrow? Only if you're not sharing the message. Only if you're, you live a very narrow life. But Jesus invites you to live a wider and larger life by showing his love to people around, both at home and abroad. We have the opportunity, and the truth is we have the obligation to take this message everywhere. And this defines our purpose as Christ followers. Would you pray with me? Father, I I thank you for the way that you've shown your love to us through Jesus. I thank you how you've made a difference in so many lives. I thank you for the people here that that know you and uh, and walk with you. And I pray for them, Lord, that they would would fulfill your mission for them, that they would help people all over the world to find and follow Christ, that lives would be different as they touch people. And then, Lord, I want to lift up the people that may be far from you, I really want a relationship with, with you. And maybe maybe that's you. Maybe you're out here today, and you say, you know, uh, that's something I'd really like to have. Well, you can begin a relationship with God simply by, by, in your, by praying in your mind to God to say something along the lines of, dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that He came to die for my sins on the cross. And I receive him into my life. Lord, make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed a prayer like that and asked God to come into your life, I would like to pray for your next steps of faith. Would you just lift up your hand? Lift up your hand and and I'd love to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for for those that had uplifted hands. I ask dear Lord that you help them as they grow in their faith. Help them connect with people that know you, help them grow. I pray for their prayer life and their time in, in your word, that they would grow rich in you. And I pray these things in the name of your son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus, amen. If you enjoyed the content you saw today, I want to invite you to subscribe, comment, like, and even share it with someone you know. And if you'd like to connect with us a little bit further, I'm leaving our link to the website in the description below. You can connect with us there, find out a location. Maybe we're right near you. And find out any upcoming events that we might have. See you soon.